The truth is, I am much better at breaking things than I am fixing them. I mean, anytime I get tools out around my house, my wife gets nervous. Here's one example of how that's played out. It was, it was a few years ago. We have a trampoline at our house, and it has a net that surrounds the trampoline to make sure our kids are safe. And the, the, the net is held on by these little brackets that connect to a pole, and one of the brackets broke. And I took a look at it, and I thought... I can't fix a lot of things, but I can fix this. And so I took it inside and looked at it. I thought, it just needs a little super glue. I went to the store and I bought what the package said was the most powerful adhesive that they sell on the market. It, 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 it holds really strong. It dries really fast. And I thought, this is, this is the ticket. Uh, I know this is going to do the trick. And so I went home. I put the glue on this bracket. I held it together as long as it told me to do so. And I thought, I'm ready to go reinstall it. I went back outside. I popped the bracket in, but the moment I fixed the net to it and pressure was established to it again, it immediately broke again. The challenge was when it broke, there was a piece of it that, that bounced off and glanced off my glasses. Now, that kind of freaked me out because I just used super glue, and so I was a little afraid that super glue was going to get near my eye, and so my immediate reaction was to take my hands up to my eye, not thinking there was super glue on my hands when I did that. And so like a dummy, I actually put super glue on my eye. Now, thankfully, I didn't get it in my eye. I got it right on the eyelid. The challenge was in the moment, I started blinking. And with every blink, it started sticking a little bit more and a little bit more until literally I had one eye shut. I had glued my eye shut. Now, it's at this point in the story that my wife's version of the story and my version of the story part ways. Now, my version of the story is I very calmly very kindly let my wife know that, babe, I think I might have super glued my eyes shut. My wife's version of the story is that I went in a total panic. I screamed like a seven-year-old girl. I raced into the house and, and went to the bathroom. Now, thankfully, my wife has a nursing background, and so she took a look at it. And thankfully, again, the super glue wasn't on the inside of my eye. It was on the outside of my eye. And she took a pair of tweezers and over the next 30 minutes, literally plucked the super glue away from my eye so that I was able to open it again. Again, that's one of just a myriad of stories of what it's like for me to be Mr. Fix-It around my house. I'm much better at breaking things than I am fixing things. Now, thankfully, we serve a God that's just the opposite. Uh, thankfully, we serve a God that is a God who's into restoration, a God who loves to bring restoration to broken things. I believe in a God who, who brings restoration to broken marriages and restoration to other broken relationships and restoration to even broken financial situations or restoration to broken health circumstances. We serve a God who longs, who, who lives for, who, who's a God of restoration. Uh, one of my favorite stories around this is recorded for us in the book of Mark chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible, I would invite you to go to the book of Mark chapter 2, or the words will show up on your screen as well. But here's how the story begins. Mark chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 1. It says this, When Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news quickly spread that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. And so early on in Mark's gospel, we find out that Jesus' popularity was already growing in a very significant way. That everywhere Jesus went, there were crowds that followed. In this particular situation, he was in a house. And this would have been somebody who's claustrophobic. This would have been their worst nightmare. People were packed into this house like sardines. I mean, shoulder to shoulder, not just inside of the house, outside of the house. I mean, people were, were completely packed in. When these four friends came on the scene, and here's what it says, Later, it says, while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying 
a paralyzed man on a mat. That even despite the just throng of people, this massive crowd, these four friends were undeterred. They weren't put off by the large crowds. They, they had this, this mission, this bent to bring their friend to the feet of Jesus. Now, we don't know much about these guys. We don't know their names. We don't know where they're from. But we don't even have to ask many questions to know their intent. We know why they're there. Because they've got a friend. He's, he's paralyzed. We don't know why he got paralyzed. We don't know if that's been a, a situation from his birth. We don't know if he was in some sort of traumatic accident that, that caused his condition. But nevertheless, these friends believed wholeheartedly if they could just get their buddy into the presence of Jesus, Jesus might be able to change his life. Jesus might be able to, to transform his world. Jesus might be able to bring restoration to his body. And so they, they're, they're, they're bringing him to the presence of Jesus. Now, as I think about a, a God of restoration, in many ways, I see myself in the position of the paralytic. I think, in a sense, we all have our mat. As we think about what it would look like for God to even restore our own lives, I think the first principle is this. We have to be people who are willing to identify our mat. Identify your mat. Now, now here's what I mean by that. We, we all kind of have our, our own mat. And what I mean by that is we all have the things that that weigh us down, that, that if we're not careful, these are the things that really can paralyze us, particularly as it, as it comes to our relationship with God. I mean, it can be a debilitating fear. It can be a brokenness that we're facing in a, in a significant area in our life. But we all have these things that can really be paralyzing in our journey. And if we were to identify that mat, if we were to identify that thing in our journey, what would that look like for us to be people who bring that very thing to Jesus? And here's what I believe. Whether it's big or whether it's small, God cares about whatever our map may be. But you know as well as I do when the going gets really tough. I mean, when that paralyzing thing becomes incredibly challenging, it can impact everything in our journey. I mean, it can cause us to to really be challenged in our ability to focus. It can really hinder a lot of our different relationships. It can really affect our productivity at work. I mean, it can impact everything. And so it serves us to identify our mats so that we might be able to bring that very thing to the presence of Jesus. So the first step is we identify our mat, but the second thing we'll discover in the story is sometimes, sometimes we've got to find another door. Uh, here's how the, the, the story continues. It says that they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. There's just too many people. So look what they did. It says, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And then they lowered the man on his mat right down to the front of Jesus. I love the relentless nature of these friends. Again, they they get to the door, and though they couldn't get through the front door, they were undeterred. They just looked for another way to accomplish the mission that they were setting out to do. And I think there's something about these four individuals that really is inspirational to me. And we got to lean to this principle that sometimes opportunity is disguised as opposition. That sometimes reward comes to us disguised as some sort of resistance. And sometimes we never experience restoration in life because we quit the moment we, we find ourselves at a closed door. That was not the true, that was not the situation when it came to these four friends. They faced the closed door, but they were still undeterred. Uh, they, they, they crawled up these, these stairs that would have been at the side of the house, gaining access to the roof. And imagine what it would have been like to be in the house that day. 
that you're packed in shoulder to shoulder, you're listening to Jesus, you're hanging on every single one of his authoritative words, when all of a sudden you hear this banging noise above your head. You don't really know what it is. You just kind of know where it's coming from, and this banging turns into scratching, and eventually you start seeing these dust particles float down toward you. And then eventually as you look up completely curious, you see a hole beginning to open up, sunshine shining through, and that hole just grows bigger and bigger and bigger, so big, in fact, that an entire mat with a human body on top begins to be lowered down by ropes into the presence of Jesus. And you look back up, and there are these four faces peering down through that hole with these sheepish grins on their faces because they had just ripped a hole in some dude's roof. And then you see the homeowner going out and then calling his Allstate insurance agent because somebody's got to fix this problem. Now, I love the relentless, relentless nature of these four friends. Again, they didn't see opposition. They saw opportunity. Uh, They didn't just see resistance. They saw the opportunity for reward. And it causes me to pause and just simply ask the question, what kind of friends do you have? I mean, do you have the the type of friends who are willing to stop at nothing when it comes to serving you in your deepest needs? I mean, who are your, who are these four in your life? Do you have the type of friends that when the going gets really tough, they're the type of people who are willing to roll up their sleeves, dive into the mess, do whatever it takes to serve you in that moment of need? And not only do you have those kind of friends, here's the second question, Are you that kind of friend? Are you the kind of friend that when the going gets really tough, again, you're willing to dive into the mess, to do whatever it takes to serve somebody when it comes to their most significant need? I would argue all of us need more friends like that in our journey. Now, I recently read an article in the American Sociological Review. And in this particular article, it talked about how We've never had more acquaintances in life. We've never been connected to more people in life. However, we've never had fewer true friends in our journey. Now, this particular article said the average American only has two really, really close friends. It's down from three friends a couple of decades ago. I don't know what happened to the third guy, but whatever he did, he got himself voted off the island. Uh, but, but it says that the average American only has two really close friends. We don't have enough close friends even to carry the four corners of our mat. And I think that that's why we around Willow Creek were so incredibly passionate about small groups. Small groups are not perfect. Uh, there's all kinds of imperfect things that are associated with groups, but the, the heart of groups is this reality is that we believe that every single person deserves to be known and to be loved. And if we can, as a church, partner to help people develop these types of relationships and to come into the context of spiritual community and biblical community and and really begin to develop these these deep-seated friendships, that we can connect people in such a way that we're willing to roll up our sleeves, that we're willing to dive into each other's lives, to get messy on behalf of one another, to usher each other into the presence of Jesus where we might receive our own miracle. Do we have those types of friends? If you're not yet in a group, we would love to encourage you to jump into a group. There's never been a better time to jump into a group than right now. Uh, Next week, we're going to begin a a new journey. And we're going to journey through the book of Daniel. And I would encourage you to take this journey in the context of a small group. Now, the journey will only last a couple of weeks, but our heart would be that we might be able to start some relationships and some friendships that become deep, deep relationships over the course of time that could really serve us and that we could serve others in really life-changing ways. 
You know, I've, I've heard a couple stories recently that come out of our group settings. Uh, one story recently uh, happened in, uh, in this COVID season. A young man named Andy, he is one of our special needs friends, and he was turning 21 years old. It was his birthday. And his mom recognized that he didn't have a lot of close relationships, and so she reached out to a few members of her mid-sized community, kind of a larger group of people right here at Willow. And she just asked if people might be willing to share a word of encouragement with her son on his 21st birthday. And within a couple of hours before noon on the same day, she had over 50 messages that she was able to share with her son. Uh, She described just the overwhelming joy that he got to experience all because a group of people were willing to roll up their sleeves to jump in and really love somebody well. It reminds me of another story that we heard uh, of of a woman around here named Michelle. She's she's been uh, an attendee of Willow Creek for a long time. And she works at a nearby hospital. And in that hospital, she just has a heart for all the frontline workers, particularly in a season like this, of which she is one of those frontline workers. And so in partnering with her group, they set a goal to do what they could to feed these frontline workers on three different occasions. And so this group of people, in partnership with a local Buena Beef, uh, they, they fed over 1,200 people three different times. I love the relentless nature of groups that are willing to roll up their sleeves and do whatever it can to, to dive into the mess, to really help and serve and to love people in an incredibly powerful and even life-changing type of way. Ask groups at its best. And again, if you're not yet in a group, let us, let us help you jump into a group. You can go to the website and we will do everything we can to partner with you in the right group in this season because we all need friends in our lives, like true friends who are willing to grab our mat and help usher us into the presence of Jesus who are undeterred when it comes to obstacles because they don't see obstacles. They see opportunity. And so again, we got to be people who are willing to identify our mat. we got to be people who are willing to even make a door if necessary. Because if we're willing to do these types of things, what happens is we're, we're, willing, to, we're willing to embrace true restoration. Here's how the story continues. It says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now that's a really peculiar thing to say in this moment, if you think about it. I mean, it's in this moment that, that, that really the story takes a pretty significant twist. You see, everybody knew why the paralytic man was in front of Jesus. The paralyzed man knew it. The friends knew it. The entire crowd knew it. Everybody knew that he was there for one reason, and the one reason alone was to have the possibility that Jesus would heal his paralysis, that he might walk out of that very room that he came down in, and yet Jesus says these words. I'll read them again. Seeing their faith... Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, are you the only one in the room that doesn't understand why this person's there? Sure, forgiveness of sins is important, but that's not why he's there. Why would Jesus say that very thing? Let's look at what the, what, what, with what is, is said next. It says, but some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only, only God can forgive sins. You see, what Jesus is up to is sometimes there's a difference between what we think we want and what we really need. What this 
man thought he wanted was healing for his paralysis, not knowing that what he truly needed was a spiritual need. Now, when Jesus begins to address his spiritual need, as we just read, some of the religious leaders that were in the crowd, they they got pretty bothered by what Jesus said. I mean, what kind of right does Jesus have forgiving people of their sins? It's one thing to forgive somebody who's offended you, but you can't really forgive somebody else for somebody else. I mean, the only person who could forgive that kind of sin is, is God himself. They understood Jesus' claim to be a divine claim. That's why they got so upset in the moment, because they didn't believe Jesus was God. They thought he was only a man. Yet Jesus spoke to the core of what his spiritual need was all about. And then here's what happens next. It says, Jesus immediately knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked through the, sto- the stunned onlookers. Can you imagine what that scene must have been like? As Jesus not only addresses the spiritual need, but in the moment also addresses the physical need. As this man jumps up, picks up his very mat that he was lowered down on, and walks out of the room holding on to it. Now here's the power of what's going on in this particular moment. This particular individual comes to Jesus with with what he thought he wanted. And he walked out with not only what he wanted, he walked out what he also ultimately needed. Here's the truth about all of us. You know, as we identify our mat, as we identify whatever it is that sometimes has a paralyzing effect in our own journey, many times that's the very thing that we bring to the feet of Jesus, and rightly so. He cares so much about it. He cares so much about every little detail of our journey. But what he cares about even more is God cares about a fully restored relationship with himself through his son, Jesus. And many times it's when we bring our wants to Jesus that he actually gives us what we ultimately need. You see, every want that we bring to Jesus, whether we come to him with a broken marriage or whether we come to him with a broken financial situation or we come to him with brokenness related to an addiction or we come to him with brokenness related to our past, whatever it is that we come to him with, many times when we come to him with our want, it's there that we begin to recognize that what he draws us into is a fully restored relationship with himself. He offers us this forgiveness of sins that guarantees us an eternity where one day for all of us, there will be no more brokenness in any relationship. There's no more conflict or strife. There's one day a situation to where finances really are completely irrelevant when our bodies will be fully healed. They'll be completely pain-free. They'll be free of aging. They'll be free of dying. That there will be no situation that we're held down from our past or that we'll reel from addiction, that ultimately this ultimate need is fulfilled to us in this fully restored relationship with Jesus, that God draws us to himself with the temporary and ultimately secures us with the eternal. Now, if you notice in this particular man's story, Again, Jesus actually restored both his want and his need. And sometimes God does the very same thing in our journey. 
if we're willing to open ourselves up to his work in our lives, that sometimes the very mat that we once laid on is the very mat that we pick up and walk out with. The very thing that once had a hold of us is the very thing by God's grace we're able to take a hold of. And many times, it is again this temporary need that causes us to recognize that our primary need has already been met in the person of Jesus. May you and I be people who are willing to identify our mat and come to God honestly with whatever that is. May you and I be people who surround ourselves with relentless friends who are willing to do whatever it takes on our behalf to bring us to the presence of Jesus. And when you and I posture our lives in such a way that we can embrace true restoration, not only for the temporary things of this world, but for the eternal things that God wants to secure in our lives through our relationship with him. Let's pray together. Father God, we're so grateful for you. God, what an amazing moment that must have been to be in that house as as you brought healing to that particular individual. And God, in so many ways, we identify our lives with that paralytic man. God, there's so many things that hold us back that that becomes so paralyzing in our journey. But God, we believe that you're a God who's really good at fixing things. That God, you can take the brokenness of our lives and you can bring it to full restoration. God, sometimes you do that fully in the here and now, but God, we believe that you will ultimately do that in all of eternity. So God, we yield our lives to you. God, we just ask that you surround us with transformational friendships. And that God, we can trust you with our physical our spiritual healing. God, we yield that to you. We pray that in your son's name. Amen.